Good morning. My name is Patrick Ness, and I'll be reading the Bible verse for the sermon today, and that will be in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And you can follow along in your Bibles, I, and it's behind me, actually. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Simeon Peter, a servant of the apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Thanks, Patrick. Let's, let's pray. God, we, uh, we're here to, um, to worship you and to glorify you, to honor you, to continue to make much of you. And God, I pray that, um, that the um, grace and peace that comes from you, God, would be multiplied to us today in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And God, I pray for um, all that you brought here today, Lord, the the people that that are present in this room. God, you know exactly um, the condition of each of our hearts, um, that that we're all uh, laid uh, bare open to you. There's there's no secrets in your kingdom that you know our heart. I pray, God, that that um, those whom you have already grabbed a hold of, those who have been um, delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of your beloved Son, God, I pray that they would um, just know more of your grace and the peace that comes from knowing your grace. And I pray for anybody here this morning, God, that is um, yet to uh, put their faith and trust um, in the finished work of Jesus. God, I pray that you would uh, be working on them this morning. And I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would just understand more and more of your amazing love for us. And that as we understand more and more of your amazing love for us, that we'd be more and more resolved to um, live our lives in uh, joyful submission to you. Um, Not to gain anything, but because we already possess everything in Christ Jesus. And God's people said, amen. Good morning. My name is Dan Hardy, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here. There's uh, uh, Pastor Chris, who is uh, leading us in in, uh, song, and Pastor John, and Pastor Pat Brady. And um, we're just grateful to be a part of this church and to see the Lord um, working. And um, as I prayed, um, I know that you are all here from uh, different um, places in life, that there's... um, different things you're experiencing. There's different um, views of God that you might have. And um, we are, um, if you're new with us, um, we're we're starting a book in the Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. And we're going to be starting the second letter from Peter, the second book of Peter. And we'll be in this book for about six or six or seven weeks. And that's typically what we do here. We'll maybe about 60% of the time we go through a book of the Bible. And um, I'm just excited to be back in a book. And I'm excited about this particular book. Um, Peter is writing this letter at the end of his life. 
he's looking back. Um, actually, this is the very last um, words that we would hear from the Apostle Peter. And as I was thinking about that, it made me think of the importance of last words. I don't know if you've ever um, sat with somebody that is elderly or somebody that is dying that um, you just want to hang on every word that they have and to, to understand um, their experience in life and to see if you can learn from it. And I was, I was just thinking of, of, of great speeches and great men, and my mind went to William Wallace. Uh, Braveheart, of all the great examples out there, that uh, William Wallace, as he was, as he was riding back and forth in front of the uh, the troops, the the Scottish troops, these um, these men that really were just common men that were uh, that were fearful, and um, and he said, "I am William Wallace." They said, "You're not William Wallace. William Wallace is seven foot high. He can leap over buildings with a single bound." And he says, "I am William Wallace, and I'm a normal man like you." And when the troops were restless and afraid, he said, you can fight and die, or you can run and live. And he said, will you fight? And, he said, and they said, we want to live. He says, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And they were fighting for the freedom of Scotland. And in a real sense, Peter is writing to us. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to um, people like you and I that, are, that know the truth and are rooted in the truth, but he's reminding them of the truth once again. And his prayer right out of the gates is, may, grace, may the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. He's an old man. He's at the end of his life. We, we see that in chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He says this. He says, I think it right, as long as I'm in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me. This is his second letter to the same Christian audience, and he is dying. And the purpose of this letter seems to be increasing knowledge in the view of present dangers. Increasing knowledge in view of present dangers. The first letter they wrote had to do with increasing hope in view of present sufferings. But Peter's writing now to those that are um, being... Um, bombarded by false teaching, much like we are today in this country, where even in the name of Christ, there is false uh, teaching. You don't actually have to go too much further than uh, TBN to see some of that. Not all of it, but some of it, to see some false teaching, or, or even some of the stuff that we get on, on FM radio today. So the purpose of this letter is increasing knowledge in view of present dangers, not acquiring knowledge for the sake of knowledge, not acquiring knowledge for the sake of maybe passing a quiz or passing some type of test, but a knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord that leads to multiplying or increasing grace and peace. Is there anybody in here that doesn't want more grace and peace in their life? I'm the only one. We all want it, right? We want multiplying or increasing. We want grace and peace and abundance. And grace, let's look at the word grace. Grace was a common Greek word uh, for a greeting. That's how they would greet uh, grace to you, brother, grace to you, sister. Grace is the fountain in which salvation springs forth. 
And grace is also the stream in which it continues to bring spiritual blessings as a result of God's unchanging love. It's a fountain and it's a stream. It's a fountain that saves us and it's a stream that carries us along. These blessings become more abundant. The the blessing of grace becomes more abundant as we grow in holiness and as we face hardship. Peace is the Hebrew greeting. Peace, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. The flower of peace grows out of the root of grace. If you want peace in your life, you need to know the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. We can conjure up peace. There's a lot of things we can do in this world to create peace, but we don't know lasting peace until you know the grace of God. And at the moment of our salvation, we did find peace. We were reconciled to the Father who created us. We found lasting peace with God, and we became his sons and daughters. And we will experience increasing peace as we have increasing understanding of God's grace in our standing in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, as we grow in the knowledge and understand more of God's saving and sustaining grace, we will be able to sniff out error while realizing more kingdom fruit in our lives. So he starts out with this prayer. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And we will experience increasing grace and peace in our lives not as a result of anything we do, but by growing in our knowing of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to accomplish a couple of things this morning. Once I want, one thing I want to do is introduce you to the author of the letter. Peter's writing this. If you were to receive a letter in the mail, it's one thing receiving a, a pen pal letter that you don't know the person. It's another thing when you receive a letter from somebody that you know. And you know where they're, you know the context and where they're coming from. And the next thing I want to do is I want to talk about where this letter, this second letter of Peter, intersects our lives today. No matter where you're at, no matter if you put your faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, or if you're one who is wondering if Jesus is who he said he was, that this is for you today. So Peter at the end of his life seems to be in a very reflective mode. And as he writes this last letter, he starts this letter out with great humility and reflection. He identifies himself by his given name, which is Simeon or Simon. And then he gives his name that Jesus gave him, Peter. He refers to himself as a servant and an apostle. He sees himself in his identity in Christ and and his, his role as an apostle. And I believe this order of servant and then apostle is important and not to be overlooked. And we're going to examine that later on in the sermon. Let's look at verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is a real and a real complex man who has a real track record. He has a real history, just like you and I. And he's very comfortable wedding the man as he was born, Simeon, and the man who was born again, Peter. Peter, Simeon, is acquainted with both guilt and grace. 
Peter's a man who grew in humility throughout his lifetime and came to understand that he's no better than the rest of us. Peter, the, the great apostle, is no better than you and I. And you and I are no better than anyone else. Because there's nothing that we did, there's nothing that Peter did, there's nothing that I did to earn standing with Christ. It's not my good works. It's certainly not my good looks. But it's Jesus' grace, the grace of God, that saved me. On the good looks or the grace? Oh, the grace, right. Amen to that too. He acknowledges, Peter acknowledges that you and I have equal standing with him before the Lord. He knew that if it wasn't for the faith given him, that he obtained, and the righteousness of Christ, none of his good deeds, he would have no standing in God's kingdom. And I want to say that again, that his faith was given to him. It was obtained. God gave it to him. And it was by nothing good that he did. It was all by Christ's goodness and his kindness, and God's grace that he even has faith. And I thought it might be helpful to better understand Peter and and where Peter's coming from as he writes this letter in the twilight of his life. So so let's take a quick look at at a bio, a resume, if you will, of Peter. Peter was married. He was a working man. He was a blue-collar guy. He was a fisherman. He loved the fish. Not like fly fishing like I like to do. He did it for a living. And he was called along with his brother Andrew to put down his net and follow Jesus immediately after Jesus' invitation to follow him. He was a man of initiative. He was always moving forward. Whether it be fishing, preaching, or healing, he was always moving forward. You think of a type A person? You think of a, of a high D person? Peter is high D. He was one of Jesus' 12 apostles or key men who walked closely with Jesus for three years. And Jesus sent him and the others out to preach and heal the sick. Peter was never afraid to speak his mind. He even spoke up when others didn't. When, when Jesus, at the, at the end of the three years, Jesus turned to his disciples and he said, Who is it that people say that I am? And one of them answered, John the, John the Baptist. And Peter turned to Jesus and said, You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. So he was, he was quick to respond. And he had some great insight. And other times, he was quick to respond all too impulsively. Like when the soldiers came to take Jesus away, Peter drew his sword and chopped off the guy's ear. Peter was a man who meant well and constantly showed his care and concern for Jesus, even though he may have misunderstood his master. Peter loved Jesus, and he was enthusiastically loyal to him, and he exhibited much courage in his loyalty to Jesus, more than the others did, quite frankly. All throughout the Gospels, Peter was consistently mentioned first among Jesus' Jesus followers, and was even part of Jesus' inner circle. If you look at the Gospels, it's Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's, It's Peter, James, and John. Peter and the other disciples. He was always named first, and he was part of Jesus' inner circle along with James and John. The three of them spent the most time with Jesus. But you know something about Peter? He had a crisis of faith. He had a crisis of faith that was born out of fear and born out of a lack of true knowledge of Jesus. Peter had a colossal failure. 
And if you're here today, no matter where you're at, if you have had a colossal failure, if you've even had minor failures, that you're going to be encouraged by the grace of God today. The grace of God that never leaves the believer. And the grace of God that wants to radically transform the heart of the one that have yet to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Peter was a complex and passionate man who experienced increasing grace and increasing peace all throughout his life. And now at the, at the end of his life, he wants to strengthen you and I, his readers, and encourage us to grow in our knowing and as a result experience increasing grace and, and, and increasing peace in spite of our own failures, in spite of our own shortcomings. In the second half of verse 1 Peter writes this, he says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He isn't writing to those of lesser standing or those who have earned standing in God's kingdom as a result of their good works or righteousness. He writes to you and I who, like Peter, were declared innocent of our sins against a holy God because of faith in Jesus' death and resurrection for the remission of our sins. It's nothing that we did. So let's take a closer look at Peter's life and see how he experienced increasing grace and peace in the knowledge of Jesus. On the very day before Jesus gave his life for us, on the very day um, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, communion. And right after he led the disciples and told them what actually was going to be happening and that he was the true Passover land, the next events happen that I'm going to describe. And these events, the reason that I'm showing these to you is I believe that they shape his writing in the second letter to the Christians. And I got to tell you, we're going to be spending time in Luke, Mark, and John. And if you're going to try to open your Bibles and follow me along, you're going to run yourselves ragged. So I would encourage you, if you're a note taker, just write down the verses for your study later, and we'll have them up on the screen here. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. And Gospel literally means good news. And if you, um, and, and it's really uh, first-hand accounts of what happened in the first century, or really in the, in the life of Jesus, the first 33 years of the first century. And the way to look at the Gospels is if, is if there was something going on in Washington, D.C., I don't know what, something going on, you can just let your, your imagine wander in this day and age, and CNBC showed up there, and, and uh, Fox News showed up there, and uh, CNN showed up there, and they got different reporters with different personalities looking at the same events, they're going to report different aspects of that same event. And that's what happened in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that they are, they are reporting truth, each of them, from different lenses through their own unique personalities. So I want you to listen to Jesus' words to Peter after the initiation of the Lord's Supper on the day before Jesus gave his life. And this is documented in Luke 22, 31 through 34. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you and your faith, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I want to just pause there for a minute because that, that particular verse is really key to this letter. Well, one of the reasons that Peter's writing to us is to strengthen us, is to encourage us. And we'll come back to that in a minute. And then Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'll do anything for you. 
I'm not going to deny you. And Jesus said this to Peter in verse 34. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And sure enough, shortly after Jesus' arrest, Peter was in the city close to the courtyard where Jesus was being held and beaten. And it said that, he, that Jesus was taken into the high priest's house. And it says that he was spit on and he was slapped. And somehow, I don't know if there was a, a window or a cracked door, but Jesus could make eye contact with Peter and Peter could see Jesus. Peter's in the courtyard. Jesus is being taken into the high priest's house where he's been spit on and slapped and ready to be crucified. Peter, who had been characterized by loyalty and confidence, is now fearful and without hope. When confronted by three different people in the courtyard who accused him of being a follower of Jesus, Peter denied that he knew Jesus all three times, and then immediately, as the words of denial came out of his mouth the third time, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the rooster crowed, and in, in, in Luke twenty-two sixty-one through 62, it says this, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. They made eye contact. And as the Lord turned and looked at Peter, Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it says he went out and he wept bitterly. And that literally means weeping bitterly is wailing as if for the death of a loved one. I can't imagine Peter's brokenness. I can't imagine his remorse and shame. He just denied knowing the man whom he said he would never deny. His promise to Jesus had to be ringing in his head, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And it took one time in the courtyard for Peter to deny Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And as we know, Jesus went on to die a horrible death and was put in the grave while Peter carried great shame and guilt for his denying his master. And at that moment, Peter did not have a full understanding that Jesus would, in fact, raise from the dead. And I think the only thing that Peter fully understand, understood is that he had great remorse and great shame. And he was broken, and he didn't know what to do with it. Thankfully, this is not the end of Peter's story. And this is not the end of our story, as we have various failures throughout our week and month. Unlike Judas, who also failed to be faithful to Jesus, Peter repented and was restored. Peter is a model of a, of a zealous and sincere heart, even though he failed morally. And in this, he, he stands in a long line of biblical men and women who, despite their failings, were people who sought God from their heart. Think of all the great people in the Bible who failed. Abraham, Moses, David, Rahab. And glory be to God that he uses these real-life flawed people as pictures of his loving and merciful kindness towards us. God cares most about our hearts 
And even when we fail out of fear or rebellion, he is there to restore us out of his abundant grace. Let's take, a, let's take a closer look at how Peter came to understand the increasing grace and peace of God in the knowledge of Jesus. We're going to look at Mark, another eyewitness view. When Jesus did in fact rise, Mark gives this account of several ladies who went to the gravesite. Listen to this in Mark 16. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. This was an angel of the Lord. And the angel said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? What the angel says next is so restorative. It's so redeeming. It is so God. And he tells these ladies, he says, go tell the disciples that I've raised from the dead. And Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Jesus is keenly aware of what of the, of the condemnation that doesn't come from God but comes from the enemy that Peter is under. And the shame and the remorse and his need to be restored and reminded of the grace of God. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And if you flip back to Luke 24, 9 through 12, and read Luke's account of what transpired when the, when the ladies told Peter and the other disciples that they had seen Jesus alive. Verse 9, And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, and to all the rest, all the other disciples. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other woman with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. And they didn't believe them. You see, none of them fully believed that Jesus was going to rise from the dead. But Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. There's hope. He asked for me by name. The one who I denied wants to, to have me restored. And then Peter arrived. He stooped. He looked in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home marveling at what happened. Could it be? Could it be that Jesus is alive? Will I see him again? And certainly Peter did. Subsequently, Jesus appeared to the, the disciples several times. But there's one instance in particular I want to bring to your attention this morning. It's where we see Peter moving towards Jesus in brokenness. And we see Jesus welcoming and restoring his beloved friend. Turn to John chapter 21. Verse 3. After Jesus' resurrection, Peter said, I'm going fishing. That's what he said. And this wasn't like a, a fly fishing thing that I might do up the pooter or the Big Thompson. He was going to work. And that's what we do. When we are, when we are uh, stuck in, in guilt and we're stuck in believing the lies of the enemy and being condemned for our sin, when we, we, instead of running to the cross, we run from the cross and we tend to hide and some of us, men in particular, we can, we can hide in our work. Peter went fishing, and six of the others went with him. 
While fishing on the boat, a hundred yards out, a man yelled from shore, Do you have any fish? And they responded back, Nope, no fish. And the man on the shore said to him, Cast the net out on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they, they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And then John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. It's the Lord who's over there a hundred yards off on shore. And with hearing that Jesus was on the shore, the disciple, or, or Simon Peter, when he heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. He couldn't wait to go see Jesus. And seeing Jesus did not had not actually left him and was actually pursuing him, Peter felt a new freedom to move towards Jesus. And in verse 12, we see that the others finally made it ashore. And Jesus said this, come, come have breakfast with me. He didn't say, get out of here. He didn't say, leave, you failed me. How dare you deny me three times? He says, come and eat with me. Come and fellowship with me. And then after breakfast, Jesus asked three times of Peter, a one-on-one, -on -one, away from the others. He asked Peter three times for affirmation of the apostles' love in contrast to Peter's three denials of Jesus during Christ's passion. And Jesus asked him, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these other apostles? Maybe it was, do you love me more than your vocation? Do you love me more than anything else? And it actually, I believe, would have been easier, easier on Peter if Jesus had asked him, do you promise not to fail me again? But he asked, do you love me? But Jesus didn't ask, will you fail me again? Because he knew that Peter would fail him again. And he knows that you and I will fail him again. Jesus said to Peter, if you love me, then feed my sheep. Strengthen my sheep. And that's what he's doing here in the second letter of Peter. Is he's written it to us to strengthen us in the midst of hard times, in the midst of false teachers, in the midst of error. Remember back to Luke 22. I read it a little while ago. Probably not because I just gave you 100 verses. But in Luke 22, verse 32, um, Jesus told Peter that Peter would deny him. And in the middle of that, he, Jesus said this, Luke 22, 32, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What Jesus said is that your faith will not fail you. You will make it to the finish line. And when you turn, when you repent, I want you to strengthen your brothers and sisters. You know what? This is good news for all of us. This is good news for all of us because we can't fail. We can't ultimately fail to the point of falling from grace, and we will be, by God's grace, to the finish line one day. And we also can know that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us. He's praying for us. Let's go back to 
Second Peter. At the very beginning, he introduces himself as Simeon Peter. Somehow reflecting back on his given name, Simeon, who in the flesh was like a bull in the china closet and was a failure in the flesh. At the same time, he remembers the new man, Peter, a man who is called out by Jesus, a man who is ever, forever loved by Jesus, who is forever forgiven, and who is forever restored by Jesus because of Jesus' shed blood on the cross. He was a follower of Jesus who experienced increasing grace and increasing peace in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then he describes himself as a servant and then an apostle. And I believe this order is important here. Servant first, apostle second. What's a servant? A servant, first of all, a servant gains us nothing. But by serving others, we gain nothing. We're called to be servants. But by serving others, we gain nothing. A servant is one who gives himself wholly to another's will. You see, we are, if you know Jesus, you are a servant of the God Most High, not to earn anything but because you already possess everything in Christ Jesus. A servant is also somebody who is devoted to another to the disregard of his own interests. That's what a servant is. And a servant also is all who obey God's commands. When we obey God's command, we are serving Him. We are true worshipers when we obey Him. And I'll say it again, because it needs to be said over and over again. He served Jesus not to gain anything, but in response to everything that he already possesses. He served Jesus because he loved Jesus. And he loved Jesus because Jesus loved him first. The great apostle Peter says his faith in standing in God's kingdom is the same as ours. And it was achieved not by his works, just like our standing in God's kingdom is not achieved by our work, but our standing in God's kingdom was achieved by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. He says in the second half of verse 1, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The great message of the Bible is right here. If you are new to the Bible, or if you have been away from the Bible for a while, the great message of the Bible is that God has himself provided a standing for sinners, and that's in the righteousness of Christ. You see, our good deeds are like filthy rags. They gain us nothing. But we are saved by grace through faith. That Jesus Christ took all of our sin upon himself and he clothed us in his righteousness. So when the Father sees us in our failures, in our flesh, when the Father sees us, what he sees is sinless saints who've been set free from the power of sin even though we might continue to sin. And the reason that the Father sees us as saints and not sinners is because we have been clothed in the righteous robes of Christ, the great exchange. Jesus took all of our sin upon himself. He received the full wrath of the Father that I deserved, that each of us deserve. Just as much as anybody else in the world deserves, I deserved it and you deserved it. 
And because Jesus took the wrath of the Father and forgave us of all our past, present, and future sins, we are now clothed. It's a great exchange. We have Christ's righteousness. He took on our sin. Brothers and sisters, peace. Do you want peace with God? If you know Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. If you want that peace to be manifest in your life on a daily basis, don't try to conjure it up. Pray that God would give you an abundance of grace and peace. And that abundance of grace and peace comes from the knowledge of God. So at this church, we want to be about increasing knowledge. Not for the sake of puffing you up. Not for the sake of you passing some quiz or test. But for the sake of transformation. For the sake of knowing Christ and his resurrection. So I can't think of a better day to celebrate communion. And uh, we're going to be celebrating communion um, the next six or seven weeks. We're going to celebrate it every Sunday that we're in 2 Peter. Why are we doing that? Because, because 2 Peter is all about um, knowing, growing in our knowing and remember and remembering what we already know. If you want transformation in your life, it's going back to the gospel. It's standing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to celebrate communion, and, and the purpose of communion is to, is to remember what Christ has done. Remember who you were, Simeon, at birth, born into sin. And remember that God has transformed you, that he no longer sees you as a sinner, but he sees you as a saint. So what we're going to celebrate, what we're going to remember is that, that those truths were not possible without Jesus coming and living the perfect life that we couldn't live. And dying the, the, the sacrificial death that we deserve to die. And then raising again from the dead. So we're going we're gonna to remember that together. And, and I'm going to give some instructions that I don't normally give. Um, we're going to do things a little bit different. Uh, typically we have the communion tables here. But I'm going to ask that the, the line flow down the wall here and then back into the aisles. Does that make sense? So even right here, you, you gals are going to want to go all the way back there. You guys have already taken communion once. Can you do it twice in one day? Absolutely. Remember it as often as you can. So we'll, we'll flow up that way. And the same thing there if you would come down the wall and then, and then back up the aisle. Let me pray. Uh, one other thing. Um, we're going to be singing or the band is going to be singing while you're taking communion. So I would just encourage you to uh, do business with the Lord. Um, don't be in a hurry to take it. Um, just reflect on his peace and grace that he gives us in abundance. God, we just praise you this, this morning. We thank you that you are uh, the God of all peace. And that we thank you that, God, our uh, standing in your kingdom was uh, given to us as a gift. And I thank you, God, that in this kingdom, your kingdom, where you rule and reign, that in this kingdom, God, that, that, we, can, um, that we can have an increasing grace and peace. Lord, I pray that we would be ones in this body that would just remind each other of the amazing grace of God, the, the, the fountain of grace that saved us, and the stream of grace that sustains us. 
and that we would walk uh, peaceful lives, knowing that we've been reconciled to the Father. And I pray, to God, that we would be reconciled one to another. So, God, uh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you who knew no sin became our sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. It's in Christ's special name we pray.